Hello there, and welcome to today's show. Our conversation today is on the subject of alignment and specifically meaningful alignment. I'll be talking with the author on a new book of that topic. And we cover such concepts as the inner game and self-regulation, and we focus on interpersonal dialogue preferences. And we think about what might be promising outcomes that we can aspire to if we learn how to embody meaningful alignment. And one question we look at is how do we get through to people to listen to what their bodies and emotions are telling them before they might go off and do something silly or something dire happens to them? Thank you for joining me. My name's Robin Stratton Burkessel, and I'm the host and the creator of Positivity Strategist. I'd like to remind you that you can read comprehensive show notes and get links to all the resources that my guests and I offer you each show. And you just have to go to the show notes page. And in this case, it's positivitystrategist.com slash PS112. So each episode has its own discreet, beautiful set of notes. As I explore the topic of appreciative embodying in this season, I'm excited about this conversation with Susan Steinbrecher. Susan's the author of three books, and she writes for and has been cited in hugely well-known publications, both online and in hard print. And Susan, through her business, Steinbrecher and Associates, consults to businesses and speaks around the world. Today, our conversation is on is going to be around her most recent book, um, and it's called Meaningful Alignment, Mastering Emotionally Intelligent Interactions at Work and in Life. And her second book, Heart-Centered Leadership, Lead Well, Live Well, was published some time ago, and we also had a conversation on this podcast. Now, I'll, I'll put a link to that um, at the bottom of these show notes so that you can refer back to that if you're interested, and I highly recommend it. So I just want to go back to the title of both of these books because the subtitles are really meaningful and give us a sense of what Susan seeks to offer us. And so where I sit in the world and the work that I do, what I'm getting is that Susan offers us a holistic perspective. And by that, I mean, when we appreciate our own wholeness, we show up fully for ourselves and we show up fully in our relationships and we show up fully for the world. And this ties in with my curiosity around embodiment. It's about about valuing the multi-beings that we are and acknowledging that we are co-creators in all our relationships. After all, we do live in a relational world. So, Susan, I'm so honoured to have you back. Welcome. Thank you, Robin. It's my pleasure. (laughs) My pleasure too. So, Susan, among your credentials as I've been digging around, I find that you're a master practitioner of NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, a certified mediator and you are certified in a whole host of 360 360 assessments. And 
most delightfully, I find that you're a certified heart math coach. Yes, <laughs> I love heart math. Oh, yeah, that's a conversation for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, so in looking at all these credentials and what you focus on in your professionally and in your life, you've got me wondering, and my wondering is this, is there a significant influence in your early life or a special moment that led you to undertake the professional development that you have done and steer your career in this direction. And what I'm referring to is, you know, your consistent focus on bringing to the foreground, the focus on our heart and our inner life. And now with this book too, Meaningful Alignment. Yes, a great question. So, I think like a lot of people, we sort of grow up in the less than functional family. (laughs) So no poor intention and certainly no judgment. Parents do the best they absolutely know how to do. And I I really believe people come from the best of intention and don't, you know, jump out of bed in the morning with the intention Mm -hmm. to disappoint others. (laughs) Sometimes that happens in life. And I feel like when I, when I think back about, I'm the youngest of seven children And my parents, of course, you can imagine what that would be like to manage. And you you can see sort of the chaos of of living in a large family like that. So I think probably at a very young age, I came from this place of how do I help people have the conversations they need to have, come together, gain some kind of alignment, get on the same page, if you will, and do so in such a way that not only accomplishes, let's say, the goal of the interaction, or if there's a conflict to come to a place of resolution, but while doing so, do do so in such a way that you preserve, if not even enhance the relationship. So I think I just learned um, as a, a a young girl that sometimes it's hard for people to get along. And so if there's anything I think that probably created that sort of planted that seed in me, it might've been just coming from a large family and everybody was seeking to get their needs met and to be listened to. Right. So I had the opportunity to learn from all, right? It's viewing parents, viewing siblings, interaction with other siblings or friends or that kind of thing and having the opportunity to kind of see how that's done or not done so well. <laughs> so I think, uh, yeah, I think that was really a gift to me. And I think it really helped shape my own sort of mental model, if you will, and belief in the world of wanting to help kind of create peace out of chaos is probably the best way to say that. That's beautiful. So you had all those people ahead of you that you could learn from, as you said. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That's a great advantage of being at the end of the queue. Right. Um, (laughs) uh, So thanks for that background. It's always nice to have a sense of, you know, what's been the trajectory of people's lives and where they start. So let's get to the story of your latest book that you've co-authored with your colleague, Robert Schaefer. I'd like to know how that came about. But first of all, I just want to talk about the title and I have kind of three areas of focus that have um, alerted my cure, piqued my interest. The first one, picking the term or choosing the term alignment. How are you using alignment? Yes, to me, alignment is how do we align, uh, come to some kind of a consensus, even if, even if we don't fully agree but we're able to move forward and align and get on the same page with another individual, both personally and professionally. So that obviously in the workplace, it could be a peer to peer, 
mm-hmm. where there's no formal power one over another. If it's a peer-to-peer relationship, you don't have to listen to what I have to say. You don't have to do what I request. I mean, there's no power over. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a unique situation in a work environment. And then it's certainly in the home environment, it could be uh, uh, spouse to spouse, or it could be partner to partner, or it could be parent to child, child to parent, whatever that might be, friend mm-hmm. to friend. So the, it was really to gain that alignment or come together and come to some kind of a consensus of, of a mode of operation or agreement or decision or whatever that might be. But doing so in such a way as I was sharing to enhance and at least preserve that relationship, if not enhance it, I think that's absolutely key because, you know, two people can come to an agreement or consensus or alignment on something, but, but then the relationship, it really took a toll. There might've been a whole lot of um, pain associated with that. And so what I'm trying to do is help people get the alignment, but again, preserving or enhancing the relationship at the same time. Mm. And I love the way that you're bringing in like the person to person and the relational aspect, because, you know, we, we talk about organizational alignment and we're really thinking functions and that kind of strategic thing. And so now when we come down to, well, you know, an organization is comprised of all the people, then, you know, it's about how we all relate together and we're in alignment in our relationships and you, you, you know, as you say, it's both at work and at home. And so I want to now add on to that, the meaningful. So why did you feel it was important to add meaningful alignment? The meaningful part to us was critical because it really was about how do you come fully present, fully engaged, honestly wanting to clearly hear this other person's perspective and viewpoint not coming in with an agenda to win the argument or convince somebody to do something, but to truly come into that interaction with this. I want to, I want this to be a meaningful dialogue. I want us to engage together. I want us to clearly express our viewpoint and at the same time feel we're very heard that positive self-regard, empathetic responding, Mm -hmm. All of that, to me, we were trying to look for what's sort of the word that that says that. So it's not just, okay, we're going to sit together and knock something out. There's something more that has to happen here. And the best word we could come up with is meaningful. So it's not just gaining alignment, but it's a meaningful alignment. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And meaning for me implies that the context is important. You know, you, you don't have, you can't make meaning without a specific context. And so that then implies that you have to have an understanding of all the interdependencies and the, you know, the bigger relationships to make it meaningful. I agree with that. I I love that as well. It's a whole nother angle to it. It is everything to me, like you're saying, is context dependent. So you can, you can cherry pick something out and then plop it down someplace else. But if you don't have the context of why is this initiative here or why is this particular variable in place? You can't really grasp the full picture. So I think that's another whole angle that meaningful, the word meaningful represents Mm. as well. Yeah. Terrific. So my next curiosity is around, um, again, just kind of looking at the words is how do you get across the concept of emotionally intelligent interactions and my 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 interest is around this word interactions because you know for those people who 
this kind of um, interaction or development that focuses on meaningful alignment and deeper conversations, they may consider it's outside their pay grade. I'm thinking, you know, you're you're an excellent, outstanding coder, or you're a highly qualified accountant or engineer. And so you might be thinking, why do I need to learn about emotionally intelligent interactions? Or am I being unfair? I mean, is it obvious that people would need this? Well, it's a great question because I, I think there's a point, certainly, that people say, well, I don't really interact with that many people. I just get my job done, I keep my head down, do the work. So it's a very tactical and functional and transactional sort of aspect of work. Certainly, there's a piece of that. Um, But I I have to believe, and I think probably most people would agree, that even if that's the type of work that you do, there's going to come a time or a place where you're going to need to either inspire, influence, negotiate, persuade somebody to a course of action. It might be to gain more money in a budget, to get something approved. It might be, I, I can't move forward without this individual supporting what I'm doing. And that's when you're going to be thrown into an interaction of some sort. And the more that we approach that with, I want to come to understand what this person's viewpoint on this topic might be. And that leads me to talk about how critically and important it is to have the right preparation before going into a conversation, especially when the stakes are high, or if you can predict either based on previous conversations or just the structure of the content, it might be emotionally charged. <laughs> if that's the case, preparation is absolutely critical. And, and we, of course, when we teach our Meaningful Alignment workshops, we, we give this whole toolkit around, here's all the things you have to consider for preparing. So things like, how do I think that person's going to respond to this? What might be their viewpoint based on what I know of that individual? What kind of meeting room or place is the right kind of place, temperature, sound, lighting, noise level, so that we're set up for success to come together in the best possible way? Mm. All of those kinds of things are part of the consideration in order to accomplish the task ultimately. Mm. Yeah, again, coming into the context, so what's kind of the environment that we're moving into? It's really acute sensitivity and awareness about how you can maximize the interaction, what I'm hearing. So, I mean, maybe it's a good time for you to talk about the meaningful alignment process. You know, how how are you doing this in organizational or, you know, other contexts? Uh, So a couple of key things is our approach with this work. We really felt like there were two two key sides of the equation that we had to address. One we call the inside game, and the out is basically the outside. The other part is the outside game. Mm -hmm. When we talk about the inside game, we're talking about the individual and who they are and how they're showing up in this type of an interaction. What is going on inside of their body? What does their emotional composure and resilience look like? And we know that when you get into an interaction, especially if the stakes are high or might be emotionally charged by the nature, then coming in with a lot of emotional resilience and composure is going to be very important for you to be able to hang in there, especially when the tension or those tense points might be there. So we, we teach people how to gain that emotional composure and resilience over time proactively. Like how do I build a reserve of strength for when I need it? I can draw upon it. And then we also realize the reality is I might be in the middle of a conversation 
and I feel myself getting really upset, mm. what can I do at that very moment to calm my nervous system down, gain, you know, get out of sort of the amygdala being potentially emotionally hijacked here, mm -hmm. <laughs> using the amygdala part of the brain instead of the prefrontal cortex. So there's things that we teach in our, in our workshop and in the book, of course, on how to, to handle that. Then there's this whole other, other side of the equation, which is what we call the outside part of this, which is how do I actually have this conversation? I don't know how to navigate. Most people really don't know how to navigate. They'll tell me, I don't know how to start this. I don't know, I don't know what this even looks like. So we created a six-step map for meaningful alignment process or map for short of how to start the conversation all the way to how to end it. And also while you're navigating that conversation, not only have we addressed how do you handle your own emotional composure and resilience through it, but how do you start to facilitate and or manage the emotion of the other person? So they're starting to get upset and what do you do? And more times than not, I find people add more fuel to the fire and get escalate the um, negative response or the emotional mm -hmm. intensity from the other person, not intending to but do so by their actions or their choice of words or their body language or their tone or all those things add to the equation. So two major pieces are, we're teaching in this class. Hmm. So I'm really curious to know when you're teaching, you know, what do you actually do? So at the moment, you know, there's a lot of information. Mm -hmm. So you, do you have any kind of processes there where you're inviting people to use their body in any way or take on an activity um, that they start in the, I'm assuming it's kind of like a workshop environment and then they practice. So, and I'm thinking, I'll just give you some clues about what I'm thinking, you know, like journaling or mm -hmm. doing some role playing or writing some poetry or singing or storytelling or, you know, what are some of the things that um, I would call embodiment work to help communicate or help integrate or embed this awareness that you have, you know, from the prefrontal cortex, so if you know from the, the, the thinking part of your brain, so that you can actually start to be more influential, if you will, with some of those emotional re reactions that we might default to. Yes, absolutely. Actually, probably 95% of the training experience is experiential and practiced, right? So, so for example, we put the participants through a visualization. Mm-hmm. We, with this person is kind of the day in the life of the, of the actual, the person we give a visualization to. And we say, so for example, you wake up, you realize you have to go to a funeral. How are you feeling? What are you doing? You're on your way there. What's going on? What's on the radio? How are you feeling? You arrive. What are you hearing? What do you see? So we actually put them through that. And then we flip it on them. The funeral is now over and you just realize, oh my gosh, you're running late to your favorite nephew's birthday party and favorite nephew is seven years old. Now you're on your way to that. Now you walk in, you see your, your nephew, et cetera. And we're, what we're doing is illustrating to people that we shift emotion when we know we need to naturally. So we would, it would be inappropriate to show up to the nephew party feeling somber, even though we might've felt somber 20 minutes ago mm -hmm. at the funeral. So we go through experiences like that. We do mindfulness meditation. We introduce what that is. We give people the experience of that. And then when we teach them the map, how to actually have the conversation, they, they bring up a, an actual conversation they know they need to have mm -hmm. right now with somebody, either personally or professionally, 
you know, the opportunity to practice that in the classroom with what we call a table coach. So there's just-in-time feedback provided by the other participants at the table, as well as the highly certified table coach, um, providing them feedback on what they're doing really well and not doing well, giving them um, observation and practice around body language and tone of voice and how that impacted the interaction. Lots of exercises and experiences like that is what we're doing in this training. Mm. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, I love the visualization piece. So really putting yourself into that story, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the possibility of that and sensing how you might emotionally respond and what your thoughts might be. So that's really powerful. Um, So I think it comes down to, for me, like I'm really curious about this topic of embodying and I don't know much about it. This is just, I'm just on an exploration myself about this. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about the inner game, how might you um, invite people to feel okay about talking about that inner dialogue or the inner emotions that they're experiencing? You know, often this is like fear-based or, right. um, you know, you're concerned about how others might perceive you. And maybe I'm underestimating a lot, you know, a lot of the reactions people might have, but I think that might be of interest to the people who are listening. Like how do you, how do, it's kind of like being willing to be vulnerable. Yes. And that's absolutely critical. And in fact, one of the ways that we get in touch with that is we created basically a model with an assessment attached. And in fact, if people are interested, they can go to meaningfulalignment.com and take our assessment for free. And it allows people to recognize what sort of mode of operation they will primarily come from? What feelings are they more apt to be feeling? Are they what we call someone who scores higher in positive affect or negative affect? What's their emotional intensity look like? How, are they, how is that more likely to be displayed when the stakes are really high? The assessment monitors all of that, and that opens up some beautiful dialogue and conversation mm-hmm. around okay, I do find myself being extremely, let's say, affiliation-oriented. And so they probably would score what we call higher on, what we call harmonious. Mm -hmm. And we talk about, depending on sort of the intensity and the feeling of that, it might go from sort of a low score around that would be acceptance. Like, I accept that I'm here to support, help, be affiliative, and, and I want harmony in my relationship. Then when the intensity gets up a little bit more, sometimes a person finds themselves giving themselves up a little bit, kind of acquiescing to the needs and feelings and the wishes of someone else and not really taking care of themselves. They might move into what we call submission. Mm. And then if it's really, really high, uh, if they score really high in this area, we call it helplessness. And the only reason we call it that is it's a true giving of oneself up Mm. which we know doesn't work long-term in the sense of our own health and well-being because we, we may give ourselves up completely to somebody else, but then our own needs are not being met. So that's the kind of conversation that comes from them taking the assessment, having table dialogue um, around that, having the coach really pull out what are the behaviors, what are the feelings associated with this, are they a higher voider? Are they more engaging? 
and why is that? And where does that come from? And how does that feel like? So we explore all of what you're referring to. Yeah. And I think this is a line from your book. Um, Self-discovery is the prerequisite for self-improvement. Yes. So this is a journey of really deeply going in and understanding yourself better, that self-awareness. We always say, you know, that's kind of the first step in any any solid relationship building. Absolutely, because even in my book, Heart Center Leadership, the very first principle is called Know Thyself. Mm-hmm. And that is about looking in the mirror and honestly assessing how we show up, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and taking personal accountability and responsibility for that. We have a tendency to constantly have an outward focus. That person should not do that. That person said something that upset me. That person caused me. Well, you know, good luck in trying to control something outside of yourself. Like you can't. So the only thing you can do is control what you say and what you do and to get in touch with unconscious and aware and mindful of the feeling and the emotions that you're running Mm -hmm. and and talk about ways to mitigate the, the, the negative side of that, if you would, or the downside of having that emotion and looking for ways to shift the mood and the emotional uh, I call it like flipping the switch a little bit emotionally, mm-hmm. but we have to take responsibility for that because it's, we're owning that. It's our emotion. We've been triggered. It's not typically about the other person. It's about something within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the first place to always look is going to be at self, not at others, but at mm-hmm. self. Yeah. And I think a development of that is when you have built the capacity to be able to do that, then it comes down to this, this self-compassion, self-kindness and forgiveness. And that's, for me, you know, how you can be of greater service to others once you've come to terms with that. You know, we all make mistakes. We all have things that we're not proud of. But, hey, I'm learning to be different. I'm learning to be, be, um, you know, be able to offer more in the world or in my family or at my workplace. Couldn't agree with you more. I think it's not about beating oneself up. It is about acknowledging and at the same time that vulnerability to say, hey, listen, this this is the behavior that I demonstrated that didn't serve me and certainly didn't serve you. Mm-hmm. Um, my apologies for that. It was not my intention, but I do have to take responsibility for that. And then it is about, to your point, giving yourself permission to to say hey listen i didn't have poor intention i know i didn't if you know you can answer in your own question did i come from the right place did i come from my heart when i said or did what i did and Mm. if that's the case then it's like okay it didn't get demonstrated the way you intended but you know where you came from you know what the intention was and that's where that self-forgiveness and giving herself a break is so critical because to your point we're all going to make mistakes at times it's just about being um, honest and transparent about that. And people forgive that mm-hmm. 20 times faster mm-hmm. than if you stand there and said, oh, well, it's not about me. It's your, you're the one with a problem. Well, everybody knows that that's a shared situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's never about one person or the other. It's always a co-created situation. Precisely, yeah. So let's um, zero in on the book. Um, It's interesting because this is a beautiful read. It's a story. It's a story of Carl and his journey into his own emotionally intelligent interactions and how he can improve on that. And I just fell in love with the first pages. I just want to share with people listening that to me, this was the story opens with Carl 
in a dream, as it turns out. But the dream is so beautiful. It's in nature. It really is a, a whole body experience of what it's like. So he knows what that possibility is of when you're being good to yourself and good to others and being, you know, self-caring and so on. And then it also talks, so there was that Carl in nature, which is very beautiful and is very helpful, we know, in this kind of work. Then there was the experience of, you know, he had some health scares, so it moves down more into what the body's doing. And then where it moves on page 14, he's in the traffic and he's going to work and he feels the tears welling up and there's this sense of fear and anger overtaking his sadness and he couldn't understand why, but he could feel his heart pumping in his body and it, it just kind of like we can all relate to that. So yes. it's such a relatable universal context or story. So um, <laughs> I just want to say that was really lovely and maybe why you chose to do it that way rather than just being like here's all the steps and here's the process, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, thank you for, for saying that. I appreciate it. Uh, Dr. Schaefer and I really felt that there's so much power in story and that people could relate to that and they could see themselves in that situation. And so thank you. It sounds like mission accomplished. Like we really tried <laughs> <laughs> to really uh, go through the experience as one would feel it. And so the whole book is a novel and it is a story. It's the first time we've approached that. All the academic stuff is in the very back addendum for those that really want to take a look at all the research and everything else that, that, that we did to create the tools and everything that we share in the book and in our workshops, et cetera. But we really felt that to get the point across, if we could do it in a very quick read, which is, I've been hearing lots of feedback from people saying, what I love about it is I didn't want to put the book down. Mm -hmm. I was so involved in Carl's life and I saw my life in Carl. Mm -hmm. And not only that, I mean, if I, if I flew through it, like I learned all the key points, because as you know, in the book, the, 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 the map process or the dialogue styles, all the things that we're teaching comes about, but it's done in a coaching session and, and through a wise elder mentor uh, sharing this information with Carl. And then he goes home and tries that he's having problems at home as well as at work as, as many people do. Mm -hmm. So we felt the story was really important and um, it, we, we hope it really does connect with folks. And so mm -hmm. we yeah. would love Yeah. I mean, if you can get people to have this wake up call, right. um, I think you've done a great job. Like this, you know, I feel these stresses and strains and this anxiety. It's impacting my relationships in my personal life. Um, I'm overweight or I have, you know, my cholesterol's high or, you know, my diabetes and I need to do something different. So I think this is, this is really important. Um, you know, this is what we're experiencing in our, our very complex world. Very much so. And we really, when we stepped back and started to design this work several years ago and saying, what are we, you know, what is this all about? And what are we noticing with our clients? Because, I mean, we've been in business 27 years and we've been, ex we've been coaching executives for about 25 of those. And we see the patterns. And 
although Carl was a fictional character in the book, there was a whole lot of our clients in this book. <laughs> I assure you. Um, we remain, you know, anonymous, of course, but, but it's one of those situations where we started looking, we stepped back, first of all, literally our brainstorming sessions, we pulled out pieces of paper and said, let's step back and what are we seeing in our world? Let's start mm. there. So at mm. a macro level, what are we seeing? We're seeing things like road rage. We're seeing the divorce rate at an all-time high, we're seeing suicides, we're seeing, I mean, all these things going on and then saying, all right, what's the kind of common denominator of all of that? And we saw that people are lacking the emotional resilience mm -hmm. and perseverance and tenacity to get through the stress and the tough times. And we also saw a lot of people feeling like they were sort of spiral, spiraling out of control in terms of being able to keep up with and technology has created so much of this, although it's a blessing, but it, as we know, it can be a curse. So we started looking at that and then we kind of drilled down further and says, what are we noticing in our workplaces and with our clients? And that's when we started realizing people are stressed to the max. And, and so how do we begin to help people be able to improve their lives and, and improve the relationships in their lives and mm -hmm. give them some peace. And that's where we started as an overall mission Mm -hmm. And then from there said, okay, let's give them the tools. Let's build them, create them, refine them, and let them practice these tools. And, and that was where we came from, from the very beginning. That's great. So before we get into how people can buy this book and how people can find out more about you, Susan, and the uh, coming back again to the um, assessment that you're um, willing to offer people free at this point, I am curious about um, your thoughts around how you get through to people to listen to and this comes back to what I've just described about Carl in your book but how do you get people to listen to what their bodies and, and emotions are telling them before they do something stupid or something dire happens to them I, I love that you said that because I was actually uh, Robert Schaefer and I were facilitating a session just yesterday for a client and we were talking about why it's not a good idea to send out an email when you're angry. Now, that sounds really common sense, yes. <laughs> yet how many times have we done this? And so we talk about ways that are very um, adaptive and maladaptive behaviors that we would sometimes take on when we're under a lot of stress or strain or the emotions are running high. And we talk about strategies for, for what to do. So for example, as simple as what I called the 24 hour rule for a client of mine, he was getting him, he was getting in trouble constantly by sending out these emails and they were scathing and he was angry and people, of course, now he's got a huge impact. He's got to go clean up all the mess with that. Mm -hmm. All the relationships have been damaged and now he's got to clean all that up. Mm -hmm. So he didn't save any time. Number one, which people think I don't have time to be nice or whatever. Mm -hmm. So um, but instead it was like, if you can draft that email, but you must put it in the draft folder for 24 hours or until you know you are in a much different emotional place, then go look at it and ask yourself the question, if I was on the receiving end of this email, how would I feel? And you'll know that answer when you ask the question. Great. And if it's less than positive, then you're mm. not ready to send, right? You're ready. You need to be sure you get, get back in there and edit the heck out of that thing until it is done in a more professional and polite manner and respectful manner. Mm. 
I also say break state. So if you're looking at something on your screen and you're like, you've got to be kidding me, right? That kind of thing. You need to get up out of your chair, mm-hmm. use, a, use a very successful strategy for a lot of people, get out in nature, go take a walk, get in your body, stretch, get something to drink, take a snack, do anything to get out of your head and into the body. Because then again, that, that helps create that whole space for you to do something that's going to certainly come across more positive to somebody else. So things like that is what we, uh, we just were sharing just yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Well, here, here, mm-hmm. I'm applauding here in the background. It sounds great to me. Um, so let me just remind people, Susan, that this is episode, um, they can go to the show notes where they'll find links to the resources you're sharing, learn more about you. And that's positivitystrategist.com slash PS112. And there they'll find links. But if they're just listening right now while they're kind of doing good things like walking out in nature, <laughs> um, would you like just to offer the, the links that you would like people to um, perhaps go to? Sure. Probably just the easiest is to go to our Meaningful Alignment website, and that's MeaningfulAlignment.com. So that's easy, just MeaningfulAlignment.com. They can take the free assessment. They'll see that on the first page. And then, of course, they can learn all about our work. Yeah, beautiful. Again, it's been lovely to reconnect with you. And I'm just admiring of all the work you do. And I look forward to continuing our relationship. Um, It takes place mainly on Twitter, and that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And um, we'll we'll keep supporting each other in this work that we do. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. Thank you, Robin. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for all that you're putting out in the world. The positivity is really the right message right now. So thank you for what you're doing as well. That's awesome. And thank you for listening today. And I really look forward to your tuning in again next time.